The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Good morning, ACF. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. It is great to have you guys at church this morning. Um, I can just tell you right off the top, this is going to be short. I got dip net to get to, and so I am. my truck is packed, and I am out the doors. No, I won't cut you short this morning. A lot, very much, you know, maybe just a little bit. Uh, like I said, my name is Josh. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. We are ending a series today called My Father Is, and this has been a really awesome series to kind of view God as our Father the way we should view God as our Father. Um, over and over and over again in Scripture, God refers to himself as our Father so often. But, of course, depending on the relationship that you have with your earthly father, that's greatly going to affect the way you see God as your Father. In fact, me just saying, my father is blank, and if I ask you to fill in that blank, everyone's going to have a very drastic different words that they're going to put into that blank spot. And oftentimes we use those words as lenses in the way that we see God as our father. And, and, you know, if you've had a great relationship with your dad, it's, it's kind of easy to see God as a heavenly father. And yeah, I get that. That's cool. But if you had maybe like no relationship with your dad, it's a lot more difficult to see God as someone who's there for you, who wants to spend time with you, who cares about you. And if you've just had a straight up bad relationship with your dad, man, that really makes it difficult to view God as a heavenly father who loves you and cares about you. And so we've been in this series, we're wrapping it up today, called God, uh, or My Father Is. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And so you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you look at the seat in front of you, or maybe one of the seats next to you, there's a Bible sitting right there. Feel free to grab that. If you don't own a Bible, um, grab that Bible that's next to you or in front of you. Put your name in it. That's your Bible now. That's just our gift to you. We want to make sure everyone that, can, that shows up to church here can leave having and owning a Bible. So take that if you don't own one, and that's your Bible now. So Luke chapter 15, go ahead and turn there. And while you guys are turning there, I'm going to pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that I have to speak uh, to your church, Lord. I, I don't take that lightly. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. God, that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us. And God, that we could leave this place um, with a better understanding of you. And, and not just an understanding in our minds, but an understanding in our hearts of who you are in our lives. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. So like I was saying, we all have these different ideas and concepts of who God is in our life. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you like don't even believe God exists. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that are like, I am an atheist, I do not believe God exists. And then two minutes later, yeah, all the problems in the world, that's God's fault. You know, cancer, God's fault. War, God's fault. This thing that happened in my life, it's God's fault. And I'm like, well, what? there is no God. You just told me that. So how can it be God's fault? But we all have these lenses and these views and these understandings of what we think about God. And so talking about God as our Father can be sometimes very difficult, sometimes hard to wrap our mind around. 
But I think more often than not, a humanistic view of God, and, and we see this throughout human history, and I believe that this is a lie that Satan used in the garden at the very beginning, was this idea that God just doesn't like me. That God is like up in heaven waiting just to pound me with a two-by-four the second I screw up. Our idea of God looks a lot like this, right? Good old far side. Always has the best images and honestly sometimes the most truest images of our view and our understanding of God. God at his computer just waiting to smite us. Just waiting for us to mess up so he can come in and, and smite us. So often, even Christians, even people who have been raised in the church, a lot of times that is our view of God. You know, and so I always, for me, I look at the word, I look at scripture, and what does it say about God and who he is? It says that God loves me. It says that God died for my sins. It says that Jesus, that God adopts us into his family. It says that God calls me a royal priesthood. It says that Jesus is interceding on my behalf to the Father. It says that God sent the Holy Spirit to this earth to be a comforter to me. And my thought process is, yeah, but he really doesn't like me. Right? And this is something I struggle with. Like, does God care? Really like me? Does he really care about me? I've had this conversation way too many times to count with people. Yeah, I know God loves me, but that's because he kind of has to, Right? Like, he has to love me, but does he really have to like me? Does he really have to care about me? Because I just don't think he does, Josh. You don't really know my life very well. You don't know the things I've done. So often we read these things and we know them, especially if we've been raised in the church. We know these things in our head, but there's something that happens in that travel, in that distance from traveling the 12 to 13 inches from your brain to your heart, from your head knowledge to your heart knowledge. It's like we know that God loves us because we read it, but then we don't live that way. We think, man, God really doesn't care about me, and, and the transformation doesn't happen. See, anybody can pick up the Bible and read it. I know several people that would not, not call themselves Christians at all, in fact, probably anti-God. And they've picked up the Bible and they've read it. They have some head knowledge in there, but there's been no transformation in their heart. And my prayer this morning is that as we leave this place, some of the knowledge that some of us already have in our heads can just drop down into our hearts and, and begin a life change in the way that we live, in the way that we see God, in the way that we understand. And that it's not just something that we know, but it's something that we live out. And some of us in this room don't have that head knowledge, don't know that God loves you, don't know that he died for your sins, don't know that he cares drastically about you. My prayer this morning is that you can begin to understand some of that knowledge and that even for you, that knowledge will transfer from your head into your heart and begin a life change um, in your life. So, did, so this today we're talking about my father is forgiving. My father is forgiving. We're talking about that. And man, fatherhood and forgiveness and all those things, those just stir up a well of, of emotions and, and different ideas and memories in people. But we're talking about my father is forgiving. And even more so, what is that, forgiven, what is that forgiveness? Because when you, when you look at Scripture and you open the Bible about forgiveness, you can go anywhere because there's so much about forgiveness. And, and this morning I want to talk about that there is freedom in forgiveness. That, that there is freedom in forgiveness through Jesus. And so as you've turned to Luke chapter 15, as I was thinking about how do I talk about forgiveness, how do I talk about my father is forgiving and all these things, there's a story that jumped off the pages to me. And it's about a father, it's about a son, and it's about forgiveness. And my guess is most everybody in this room has heard this story. 
Even if you have not grown up going to church, odds are you've probably heard this story. The story is known as the story of the prodigal son. And so we're going to talk about the prodigal son this morning. And to be honest, it can be a little bit scary talking about, uh, preaching about something in the Bible that is so common and so well known. My challenge to you is don't check out and go, oh, I know where he's going with this. I know what he's going to talk about. I've heard the story of the prodigal son a thousand times. My, 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 my challenge to you is to lean into this, and maybe you can learn something. Because I'll tell you what, as I was studying this, I learned some new things for sure. And, and they were kind of some game changers for me. And so I want to challenge you, challenge you with that this morning. So setting up the story, Jesus is, is hanging out, and, and he's, he's, he's eating. And he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Those tax collectors always get thrown into that lump of sinners. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And, and he's, he's just having a good time with them. And the Pharisees, who the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees were kind of like rock stars of the day for the Jewish people. The Jewish people loved the Pharisees. They wanted to be like the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had some beefs with Jesus. And this is one of them. Jesus is, is eating with sinners and tax collectors, and that was something that rabbis did not do. And so they're kind of looking down on Jesus, and the Pharisees say this. They say, I, they're like, I can't believe he's eating with these sinners and these tax collectors. Like, who does he think he is? Doesn't he care about his reputation? Doesn't he care about what people think about him? Like, this really makes him look bad. And, and I love this one line. This is, this is how they condemn Jesus. This is their accusation of him. They say, he receives tax collectors and sinners. He receives them. Church this morning is that an accusation people can say about you? That you receive sinners and tax collectors, that you're known for loving people outside of the church, that you're known for loving those who are struggling in life, who are known as sinners, who are known as tax collectors. Who, tax collectors were just people who basically were traitors, traitors to the Jews. They were Jews who would be considered traitors. But Jesus is known for loving them. And in my life, am I known for loving people? Nor am I known for, you know, making sure that everyone follows the rules exactly like the Pharisees were. That was a freebie. Let's, let's move on. So, so Jesus hears them kind of talking about the situation. And he's like, listen up. And Jesus tells these Pharisees three stories. The first one's about some sheep. A guy has a hundred sheep. One gets lost and he, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. The second story is about some, a, a, a little old lady. She's got some coins, and she loses the coin, uh, one coin, and she tears her house apart looking for the one coin. And when she finds it, she has a party. It's like, I'm going to call my neighbors. I'm going to call everyone around because I just found my coin. And then the last story, the one we're going to talk about today, is the, uh, the lost son or the prodigal son. And Matthew 15, 11, we're going to start. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And the father divided it between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far-off country. And there he squandered his property with reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine came and arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent sent him out into the field who sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And bring a ring and put it on his hand. Put shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. The important thing to understand is when you have a party, Kill the fatted calf. Always bacon. So, there's a couple of things. I want to break this story up in a couple different sections and ideas. And I think we can relate to a lot of these. Let me just say, I know I can relate to a lot of these. And the first one is this, is that the son wanted freedom from the father. The first thing we see in this story is that the son wanted freedom from the father. You see, the son had grown up in the father's house. The son knew all the rules. The son had responsibilities. In fact, we know the son had like chores to do because we didn't finish the story completely. But at the end of the story, his brother's out in the field doing the chores. So the son has grown up with this idea of, of, of knowing the father. And yet at some point in his life, the son's like, you know what? I can do this better on my own. I can do this better. My life will be better if I could free myself from my father. If I could take what's mine, what's, what's coming to me, and I can go and live it up. Oh man, won't my friends be jealous? It'll be amazing. I'm going to go on some crazy adventures. I'm going to live life. And so he goes to the father, and essentially he's like, Dad, here's the deal. I wish you were dead, but you're not. Since you're not dead, just give me my inheritance now. I'll take it now. I'll take it today. And so the father kind of shockingly says, okay. And, and he gives the son what the son is asking for. And there's, a, there's another scripture in the Bible that, that really lights this up well. And it's Romans and it's 121 through 25. And just listen to this that Paul's talking about. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and, their foolish, and, in their, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immoral God for the images uh, resembling mortal man, uh, birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, God gave them up to their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about a god about god for a lie and worshiped and served creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen this is exactly what god's what god allows to happen right here to the son and in this this one line claiming to be wise they became fools have you ever been there in your life I know pretty much everyone in this room has been in a place of claiming to be wise but you became fools because we've all been teenagers right like, we've all claimed to be wise and then realized we were fools. And this is where the son is. The son's like, Dad, I can do this better. I don't need you. I'm going off on my own. 
I got a plan. I'm going to go to this far off country. I'm hitting Vegas. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to double down on everything I got and I'm going to make, you know, twice as much as you have now. I got it coming, God. And the son thinks he's so wise in his decisions. And my question is to you, first off, have you been there before? Have you thought you've just been so wise in the decisions that you're making, but really knowing that this probably isn't the wisest choice? See, this is not the way the father raised the son. This is not the type of man that the father was trying to teach the son to be. But for so, so many times in my life, I think I'll be happier if I can just do it my way. If I can just do it my way, that'll make me happy. And for a while, let's be honest, the son was living up. For a while, the son was really happy. Man, he had, he had parties he was going to. He had friends all around. He had women surrounding him. He had food. He had all this stuff, the greatest parties, all the money. And for a while, the son was living up, and it was better for a moment in his life and in his mind. And have you ever thought that way? Like, God, I know this isn't the best thing, but it's the way I want to do it. I want this relationship, God. I'm going to pursue this relationship because it's what I think is best for my life. Or God, you know, I'm going to do this my way. I, you know, I know at work, I know at work this is not the way we're supposed to do things, but I can, I can get a little extra from work. I can, I can steal just a little. I can skim a little off the top. I mean, this is going to be so much better for me in the long run. You know, or whatever it is. God, I want this. I deserve this. I need this. And God, it's going to be better if I can just do it my way. This is what the father, or this is what the son was saying to the father. And then it happens, inevitably. The bottom drops out, right? The bottom drops out on the son and everything just vanishes, disappears. Friends, gone. Food, gone. Parties, gone. Women, gone. All of it, gone. He's left completely isolated and alone in his own decisions, right? The father didn't put him there. The son put himself there, completely isolated, completely alone, starving to death, right? The son ended up somewhere where he thought he would never be. Have you ever ended up somewhere where you thought you'd never be? I've talked to so many people that were like, how did I get here? How did I get here? I used to look at these types of people and go, man, I will never be that person. I will never do that thing. I would never become that and and here I am, the very thing I, I thought I'd never be. The son never thought he'd be broke without friends, alone, starving to death. But have you, have you ever found yourself there in a place where you thought you'd never be, a place you said, I'll never be that person? That's where the son found himself. Feeding pigs, right? Just wishing he could eat what the pigs are eating. Pig slop. It's pretty gross, disgusting, and he's going out in the fields, really getting paid nothing, not getting paid enough to even buy food so he's not starving to death, and he's finding himself feeding pigs, just going, oh, mind if, mind if I join you guys right here? I'm going to stick my head in this slop and have, have a bite or two just so I don't die. I mean, he is hit rock bottom. And then I love the wording that Jesus uses. It says, then he kind of came to himself. All of a sudden, a light goes off. And that's the next point, is that all of a sudden, he found freedom in repentance. All of a sudden, the son comes to this moment, he comes to this point where he's like, this isn't good. Right? This is not good. 
I, I need to change some things. Now, repentance is kind of a churchy word. You don't really hear it anywhere outside of church. And for the longest time, what repentance basically is, and I think what most of us would say we understand it as, is repentance is where you're walking a certain direction, and then what you do is you turn and you go the opposite direction of that thing. You're walking towards that sin, you're walking in that lifestyle, you're walking away from God, and then you decide to turn and go the opposite direction. And that is an accurate account of what repentance is, but the problem is that it's more than that. And I learned this not too long ago, and really when I learned this, it changed everything. Because a lot of times when we turn away from that thing that we've been walking towards for so long, we look back and go, oh, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Maybe I kind of even miss it. And, and how many times have we tried to repent of sin, and yet we find ourselves turning back around and headed right back towards it, you know, two weeks later, and going, oh, how did I find myself here? Okay, got to turn back around. Got to repent. Got to go the opposite direction. Oh, that's not too bad. Oh, got we find ourselves, because what repentance is, It means to think differently about that sin. Repentance means you change the way you think about it. So now it's not like, oh, that thing I used to do. Now it's like that thing I used to do disgusts me. That thing I used to do sickens me. It it is sin. It flies in the face of God. It is what put Jesus on the cross. I don't want to get anywhere near that thing. I want to get as far away from it as possible. And so when you change the way you think about it, and then you turn and go the opposite direction... You're like running away from this thing that disgusts you. And that's where the son finds himself. He's like, here I am, starving to death, feeding pigs, just wishing I could eat what they have. And all of a sudden he starts remembering, man, I I never knew hunger in my father's house. Not only did I not know hunger, my, my father's servants never even knew hunger. I can guarantee you as the son's sitting there, he's thinking very differently about the choices he's made to get himself into that location. He's not going, okay, I'm going to work hard and get, get myself by my bootstraps and pull myself out of this situation. No, he's beyond that. It is, he's starving to death, and now he realizes, I made some bad choices. In the story, he, he gets up and he starts headed to, heading towards his father's house. But before he can even do that, he has to do something. And this, for me personally, is, is a big struggle of mine. And uh, in the son, what he has to do is he has to humble himself. Really, and take a good look at his mistakes and go, you know what? (laughs) Dad was right, and I was wrong. I think so often a roadblock for us to even begin to repent is the fact that we don't want to admit that we were wrong. It's like, I, I, I don't know if you've ever found yourself here, but it's like maybe you're in an argument with somebody. Halfway through the argument, it's like you realize that you are actually wrong. But you're like, I've already dug my heels in, you know, this far. Let's just keep going. Like, I am way wrong, but I'm not stopping now. I can't let them know that I know that I'm wrong, right? Often we do that when we make mistakes. Often I do that. And the son, what he does is he has to humble himself and come to a place and go, you know what? I can't stay here anymore. I was wrong. And he has to get up and he goes towards his father. And... The son, what he does is he finds freedom in that repentance. He finds freedom in that idea that he was perishing from hunger. And so now we have the son, and he's walking down the road. And as he's walking, I'm sure, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this, he is reciting and rehearsing, maybe even writing down exactly what he's going to say to dad when he kind of gets face to face with him. Okay, I got this. Dad, mistakes were made. Okay, uh, no, that's no good. That's no good. Throw that away. Um, let's see. 
Uh, Father, there comes a time in a man's life when, no, 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 that's no good, that's no good, throws it away. He's walking down that road of repentance, and he's like, okay, Father, yeah, that's a good start, Father, okay. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. Oh, that, that'll preach, that's good, that's good. Um, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just hire me as one of your servants. And he's walking down this road of repentance towards his father. But then something happens. Something happens. And he arose and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced him, and kissed him. See, the next point is that we, with forgiveness, offers us freedom from our failures. Forgiveness offers us freedom from our failures. So, Jesus was very intentional with what he said right here. Don't read past this too quickly. The father saw him from a long way off, got up and ran towards him. First of all, that says something, that says two things about the father. The first thing it says is this. Do you think the father would have seen him a long way off if the father would have been like this? Okay, son, here's the deal. Here's your inheritance, now go. You are out of the family. You got what's yours, now leave. I still got my other son, and so I'm going to work together with him, but you are gone. You are dead to me. And then the father goes back in the field and starts working. If that was the father's attitude at the beginning, do you think he would have seen the son coming from a long way off? Of course not. Why did the father see the son running, coming from a long way off? It's because every day he's going out looking for him. Is that my son? Is he, is he coming back to me? Is he, is he going to return? Is that, is that him? Uh, nope, that's Billy the neighbor boy. Okay. Um, is, is today the day my son's going to come back? Is today the day? And he's looking for him. Every day get looking for him. And finally one day he sees him. He's like, is that my, that is, that's my son. And he gathers up his robe. This is what guys wore then. And he goes running towards his son. Now, here's the thing. Jesus was very intentional when he said the father ran to the son. And here's why. When he said that, the Pharisees probably went like this. <gasps> no, he didn't. The father ran? Uh-uh. No. See, that was men did not run in that culture. They did not run. It was very undignified. And this was a dignified man. He was very wealthy, very dignified man. And it was super undignified to run borderline scandalous for a man to run. And the father gathers up his robe and he runs at the son. He didn't care what others were thinking about. He didn't care what it looked like. He didn't care that it undignified him. He cared about one thing and that was his son. And he ran towards him. I love this saying I read uh, this week when I was studying. It says, slow are the steps that walk to repentance. But swift are the steps of the Father that run to forgiveness. Man, it just took a moment of the Son going, okay, I need to repent, I need to turn, I need to go. And he starts going down the road, and the Father sees him. And now the Father is running to the Son. I don't know if you've ever been in that road of repentance, but sometimes we like to drag it out. Drag it out, because we know it's coming. But the Father doesn't do that. He sees the Son, and he takes off running. And then what happens? He gets to the son and poof, bear hugs him, starts kissing him. And I can imagine the son's like, Dad, hold on, I got a speech prepared. Pulls out the speech, Dad, stop kissing me, stop hugging me. Okay, Father, I've sinned against you. Stop it. And I've sinned against heaven. Right? What's the son trying to do? The son's trying to tell the father all the mistakes he's made. 
Don't think the Father doesn't know all these mistakes he's made. How often do we do this? How often do I do this? I feel a call from God, or I feel like God's maybe asking me to do something. Or even on a Sunday morning, and I know I'm going to go to church and be in the presence of God, and I'm like, I, God, I can't come be in your presence this morning because of what I did on Tuesday. And God's like, what do you mean what you did on Tuesday? I don't want to talk about Tuesday. I want to talk about today. Tuesday, I've thrown as far as the east is from the west. Tuesday, I've thrown to the depths of the sea. Tuesday's been covered. I, I died for Tuesday. Let's not talk about Tuesday. And then typically our response is, God, well, let me remind you what happened on Tuesday. God, let me tell you about Tuesday. And God's like, I want to talk about Tuesday. No, Father, I want to tell you about Tuesday, what I did. So we carry this burden. We carry it around. And we, and we refuse to set it down. Galatians 1.5 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit to a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that you have been forgiven. It is for freedom that Jesus died on the cross to set you free of your failures and your past. But then he says, don't submit to a yoke of slavery. But every time we're going, God, let me remind you what I've done. What we're doing is we're submitting to a yoke of slavery going, no, this is who I am. I am my sin. I am this thing. And God's going, no, 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 I've I've forgiven. I took care of Tuesday. right? I, I threw that out. I covered that with my blood. But we keep coming back and submitting to a yoke of slavery, just like the son was trying to do. Dad, stop it. I'm trying to, trying to apologize here. The son brings up all his sins to the father. He tries to. And there's something in this story I never caught. I actually heard this um, uh, in a podcast I was listening to like a week or two ago. And it was something, I, I heard this, I've read this story hundreds of times. And something I heard jumped out at me. And honestly, it changed everything for me with this story. What does the son say? The father's hugging him. He's kissing him. And the son says this, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. His next line is, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Here's the problem. He was never worthy to be the son. You are not worthy to be called a son or a daughter of God. I am not worthy to be called a son or a daughter of God. But what that does is it shows the son's mindset. His entire life growing up, what had he been doing? He had been trying to earn it. He had been trying to work for it. He had been trying to do the right thing. Imagine this. Imagine I invite you into my house for dinner, and you're sitting at the dinner table. My kids are sitting with you, and, and I come in and sit down at the dinner table, and Cyrus looks at me. He's like, hey, Dad, I did all my chores today. I said, good job, Cyrus. Dad, guess what? What? I had, I had a soccer game today, and I scored a goal. Awesome. Dad, guess what? My room was a mess, and I cleaned it up. You didn't even ask me. Good job, Cyrus. Today, you can be my son. Today, you are allowed to eat at my table because you did what I asked you to do. Then imagine you come in for dinner. I invite you over, and, and I walk in, and I say, Cyrus, did you, did you do all the chores you're supposed to do? No, no, Dad, I, 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 didn't, I didn't finish them. You had a soccer game today. How'd it go? Did you score a goal? No, no, Dad, I, I, didn't, I didn't score a goal today. Your room was a mess. Did you clean it up? No, no, Dad, I didn't clean it up. 
And I look at my son, I say, get out of my house. You cannot eat here. Who do you think you are? You are no son of mine. You did not earn it today. Get out. Maybe tomorrow. Now, if you were somebody who cared about kids, you'd probably call CPS right away. (laughs) But that is the image that we portray on our Heavenly Father, is it not? Don't we do this daily with our Heavenly Father? God, I'm going to earn it today. I'm going to be your son today. I'm going to be your daughter today. You see, here's the thing that you have to recognize and realize, and the son did not realize this. I think until this moment, you are not a son, you are not a daughter, you are not, you are not a son by worth. You were a son by birth. When Jesus tells us to be born again, that is what makes you a son of the Father or a daughter of the Father, not because you've earned it. And we've spent, most of us have spent our lives trying to earn it. Even people who don't believe in Jesus, even non-Christians, are trying to somehow work and earn their way through life to be a good person to be worthy of it. Here's, here's a lie that's been pitched into society, and here's the thing that we need to recognize today. Good people do not go to heaven. Did you hear that? Good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And we are working so hard to earn the, the forgiveness and the love of the Father. And he's like... The father, what's he doing? I don't, I don't want to hear it. I'm just, I'm here to hug you. I'm here to kiss you. He's just like all over the sun. But we think that God is that type of parent, right? You didn't earn it today. Get out. Oh, you earned it? Come on in. Eat with me. You see, I love my son. He doesn't earn it. He doesn't, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't done some amazing thing to make me go, oh, hey, I want you to be my son. He's just six years old. He does his thing, and I love him. And you can ask my son. You could grab him after church today, look him in the face and say, Cyrus, why does your dad love you? And he will tell you, because I'm his son. I tell him that almost every day. Because I'm his son. Church, we have to understand that God loves us for one reason. It's because we have been born into his kingdom. Right? If you said yes to Jesus, if you've asked him into your heart, if you've asked him to wash away your sins, you know what he's done? He's washed away those sins. And now we need to walk and live in that freedom. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus, and he has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's no more condemnation. Like He had freedom from his failures, right? He had freedom from his failures. You have freedom from your failures, so stop trying to earn your way out of them. And finally, what we see is that there's freedom in restoration. There's freedom in restoration. Not only does the father begin immediately and forgive the son, mind you, before the son can even utter the words, I'm sorry, the father's wrapped his arms around him, and then he begins to restore him. How does the, son, how does the father begin to restore the son? It says that he kisses him. And in some translations, it says he kisses him with much love. I love this idea. I, I kiss my kids like crazy. They are going to be kissed their entire lives. They just have to deal with it now. Figure it out. Dad's always going to be kissing you. And, 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 and the father, he runs to the son, and the son's like, Dad, I, 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 I've sinned, and, and Dad, I'm not worthy. And what does the father do? He doesn't even, he doesn't even like, 
acknowledge that this is going on. He throws his arms around him and he begins to kiss him with much love. And think about this. Think about what the son is thinking right at that moment, at that time. First of all, the son's walking back and all of a sudden he sees some man running at him, which you didn't see at that time. And all of a sudden, that's dad running at me. Son's probably thinking, I'm dead. Dad's running at me to kill me. Here he comes. Oh, no, this was a bad idea. And all of a sudden, he sees his father running at him. And all of a sudden, there's not anger in his eyes. There's not vengeance in his eyes. I imagine there's tears flowing out of his eyes. He's got his arms open, a big smile on his face, and he's like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, dad's getting closer and closer, and it's like, he's about to tackle me. And all of a sudden, so the son's, I imagine, starts pulling out his, his notes for his apology. Dad, I've sinned against, poof, and he gets hammered, tackled by the dad. Some translation said the, the father fell on the, the neck of the son, falls on his neck, just embraces him. And he's like, Dad, okay, so here's the deal. I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against, and all of a sudden, imagine what's going through the son's head right now. This is not what I expected. Right? The son is coming back to be a servant of the father. And all of a sudden, he's forgiven, and the next thing he's done, he's restored. With every kiss, the father doesn't even care what the son has to say. He doesn't listen to him. He stops him in the middle of his apology, by the way. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, go get a robe, go get a ring, go get shoes, kill the fatted calf, party time. Right? He doesn't even let the son finish apologizing. The father kisses him. At the moment of the kiss, the son knew that he was loved. Right? He's coming back to be a servant. And all of a sudden, the father falls on him and starts kissing him. At the moment of the kiss, the father knew that he was loved. At the moment of the kiss, the, the son knew that he was forgiven. At the moment of that kiss, the son knew he's loved, he's known, he's forgiven. And now at the moment of that kiss, the son knows that he's a son again. The son knows that, no, I'm not, not going to be a servant. I get to be my father's son. At the moment of restoration... Full restoration. The father kisses the son. And that restoration, that's called grace. That's called grace. And the thing is, man, we don't really get grace. Grace is kind of scary to talk about. It's kind of scary to understand. It's not really logical. We are people of cause and effect. And grace throws a monkey wrench in cause and effect. Cause and effect is I sinned against you, now I got to work it back. I got to repay you with all the money I took. No, but grace is, nope, you're my son again. And he throws his arms around him. So often people are kind of scared, Christians especially are scared to talk about grace because they're like, well, what if people abuse it? What if people know they're going to get forgiven, so what they want to do is they want to go sin more? Even Paul in Scripture talks about this. He says, don't keep sinning so grace may abound. Stop doing that. But the thing is, is, is because people would only do that because they don't understand the full depths of what grace is. I've been married for almost 12 years. It'll be 12 years in about a month. And over those 12 years, my wife and I have had some ups. We've had some downs. We've gone through some difficult times. We've gone through some awesome times. And during those 12 years, my wife has always forgiven me for my mistakes. Maybe not right away, but my wife has always forgiven me. And so you know what it dawned on me the other day is, you know what, obviously the next logical step to do is to go have an affair, Right? I need to go and have an affair because I know that my wife is going to forgive me, 
right? I need to find freedom away from this relationship, experience life, and know that I can always come back because my wife will forgive me. Right? That's, that's not what I'm planning to do, okay? Just, but that's kind of the approach that we take with grace. We think, oh, well, I can just sin, and then when I'm done, like, God will forgive me. No, you see, the thing is, because of the relationship I have with my wife, because of, of who she is and her forgiveness in my, in my life, forgiving me for my mistakes, what, what do I want to do? I want to push into that relationship more. I want to honor her more. I want to I be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to I love my wife because she loves me back. And when we understand the weight of grace, that makes us want to push into our relationship with God more. It makes us want to go, you know, I don't want to go do that thing because I know that Jesus died for that. I know that put him on the cross. I know that hurts the heart of God. Why would I want to go and do that? I know that would hurt my wife. In no way, shape, or form would I ever think about doing that because it would hurt my wife. But we misunderstand grace and we're, we're afraid that people are going to misunderstand it. No, what we need to do is we need to help people understand really what grace is. Is that there is full restoration. Full restoration from the Father. That it's not earn it, it's not work for it, it is that he has restored us completely. So I want to end with this. What do you believe about the Father? What do you believe about the Father? You see, in this room, if I asked every person individually, what do you believe about the Father? I think everyone's going to come up with kind of a different answer, kind of a different opinion, kind of a different understanding. You see, even for those who have been in church your whole life, the son spent his entire life with the father, and he did not know him. He thought his life would be better without him. He thought his father wouldn't accept him back as a son. He thought he was going to have to be a servant and earn his way back into the family. The son has spent his whole life with the father and still did not know him. What are your beliefs about the father? We have spent our entire lives trying to, to, to say the right thing, to do the right thing, to work for it, to earn it. Being good enough to earn the forgiveness that we have. And the thing is, that's, that's not who the Father is at all. Trying to work to be worthy. And the truth of the matter is, is there's different types of people in this room. And we've all got beliefs about the Father in the way that we view him, in the way that we think about him. But to begin the journey of understanding the Father, we have to understand one thing first, and that is that we are all prodigal sons in this room. Let me explain it to you like this. You see, we're really not so different. We all got issues. Some are just more easily identified. See, this one, this one loves tally marks. And that one... That one's just lost count. See, he's the type that likes rules, like teach me how to do it, practice makes perfect. And this one, this one questions everything. He doesn't do so well with authority. He's like, let me learn on my own. Experience is the best teacher. Let me learn with my own hands. And this one, this one's good visibly, but that one, that one's failed miserably. And this one's got it covered, and that one, he don't need a covering. See, this one's got it all figured out, but so does that one. And this one knows that he's better than that one. See, his filth fills his nostrils. You stink of lawlessness, selfishness, rebellion, and arrogance. But, but that one knows that, that this one has been brainwashed. He's a drone prone to conform. 
See, you stink of vain repetition. You stink of selfishness, judgment, and arrogance. See, we all got beliefs. This one loves the mirror, right? Spends hours perfecting his reflection, knowing full well that it's lying to him. He just knows that his religious cosmetics will cover up his blemishes. Feeding the poor, helping the needy, that's God's airbrush, right? You see, that one hates the mirror. He's embarrassed of its reflection. He just knows that if he blows, he'll be too high to even notice or care or question if it matters. Like, why should I believe in a system that feeds a man's ego, right? See, we all got beliefs. We all got issues. They are both liars. It's just that this one is tired of doing it, and this one thinks he's earned it, and that one, that one doesn't deserve it. But that one agrees, so he believes, if he, per, if he perfects 12 steps and masters a prayer, then I will be okay. And, and this one agrees that if that one was more like me, well, then we'd both be okay. See, we all got beliefs. We all got our own means. This one keeps up good deeds. He's involved in social justice. Let me prove it. Recycling, bike riding, and the unborn rights, those are the things he chooses. Yet he's been so judgmental on souls, he's left bruises, as if his filthy rags righteousness makes him any better than anyone. Homie, let's say that they were both swimming to Hawaii, and this one, he makes it 10 miles, and that one, he only made it one. They are both equally dead. See, we all got beliefs. It's just that this one believes if I ask for forgiveness and heap up Hail Marys, well, then I'll be worthy of his mercy. See, we all got beliefs. The problem is, is that we are both wrong because at the foot of the cross, my Father is forgiving.